Welcome to the Confidence and Communication Podcast. I'm your life coach, Jessica Dumas. I'm a professional speaker and coach who empowers women everywhere to use their voice to take up space and change the world. My goal is to help you speak with clarity and confidence while giving you practical guidance and tools by sharing real life experiences of overcoming. So turn up the volume and grab a pen. You're gonna wanna write this down. Hi everyone, welcome to the Confidence and Communication Podcast. I'm really excited today. I have a really cool guest. Her name is Sherry McKay. You may know her as Nish Fish. She is an Ojibwe Anishinaabe woman from Treaty One Territory, originally from Saging First Nation. She's a mother of four and best known as a TikTok content creator with 495.5 thousand followers and 16.9 million likes. I So I've been telling my kids about that for the last couple of days and I've been like enunciating those numbers because that's huge. So her social media presence is a strong voice for Indigenous women with content to bust myths, provide education around what it means to be an Indigenous person and an Indigenous woman. She's inspiring. She inspires emotional pride in her audience and the world everywhere, I'm thinking, with really normalizing and legitimizing Indigenous life and lifestyle, in my words. One of the lines that I saw on a TikTok in the past was, we are relevant, we are Indigenous, and we're not going anywhere. Welcome, Sherry. So so much of your content, which is how most people know you, is just, it's incredible. It's It really does give voice to Indigenous people. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me here. Yeah, it's been quite a journey and it's definitely not what I expected. You kind of just talk and when people listen, it, it's kind of uh, refreshing, you know, from talking so much and not having people listen. So I'm very grateful for the position that I'm in today. Amazing. I love it. So this is our first time having a chat and I thought this would be fun both as Indigenous women to get to know each other because you don't know maybe anything about me. So I wanted to tell you a little bit about me because as I read your biography, I knew like we could basically be cousins really is <laughs> at the end of the day. I am a speaking coach. I'm a professional speaker and a speaking coach. I grew up here in Winnipeg. I'm very active on Instagram. And my goal is to help women use their voice to take up space. And, and I feel like my purpose is to help them feel confident and supported while doing that. So it's interesting how we're doing similar work and just in different ways. So, and, and I think it just goes to show like that's something that's in us as Indigenous people. So what what do you think of that? Um, I find it a lot within the Indigenous community that we want to uplift and empower each other. I was raised by my grandmother, so I was around my aunties and my uncles a lot, and I've never felt silenced in my own home. And I've always felt that my voice and my view is valid. And it's just different stepping out into the world as an Indigenous person, right? Um, so trying to dismantle that and relearn that we are, um, resilient, we are, 
we have this ability to encourage each other to use our voices. And, and I find it so emotional and I find it, you know, not just refreshing, but like, it's about time kind of, mm-hmm, kind mm-hmm. of thing, you know? And so I think that that's amazing that, that that's exactly like what you do. And like you said, we just do it in different ways. Um, but the impact is still there and it's, it's much needed for our communities and our people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I grew up in the North end. I had my first son when I was in high school. So I had already dropped out, you know, doing all the wrong things, had my son. And then I went back to school after I had my son, I graduated on the honor roll for the first time in my life. I was on the honor roll. Because of the, I was in a program when I graduated high school and I ended up working because of this program, working at Manitoba Hydro for about nine years. So during that time, I had two more sons. And the reason I left Manitoba Hydro was because my brother, who was 18 years old, got killed by the police. Of course, that changed everything. It was very public, blah, blah, blah. I'm sure any of the stories that you have heard about any anything similar to that are not shocking, right? We we hear these stories, we know these stories. But there was a time throughout my healing journey that I thought that I wanted to be a police officer. Actually, how how it really came to me is I left Hydro, I was working in restorative justice because that work I really felt like it, it was part of my healing, like it was really meaningful for me. And as an adult, connecting with First Nation Reserves for the first time in my life. So that was interesting. But I had the opportunity to go to the RCMP depot. The organization I was with flew us out for the day. We got to go to a grad. I don't know if you've ever seen an RCMP graduation ceremony, but it's extravagant and it's really cool. (laughs) So here I am, a mom of two boys. Did I have two boys at the time? Uh, Yeah, that would have been, maybe I had three, two or three boys. And uh, I thought that I wanted to become a police officer. And I realized I can't really like travel across Canada with my kids as a single mom. So I looked at Winnipeg and went through some of that process. And then I just decided, no, that's not for me. So when I was reading your bio, I was like, wow, Sherry wanted to be a police officer. So what was your experience like considering it and then not considering it? Yeah. I'm like, are we the same person? Like what yeah. <laughs> What is going on? Growing up, I've always wanted to be a police officer. Like I was a huge fan of, you know, shows like cops and to serve and protect. And, um, but it was also one of those things where we bonded as a family watching shows like that, not having cable and, you know, like just the only thing on TV that was entertaining kind of thing. And so that was something that was definitely on my radar as a career. I ended up being a teen mom as well. And I had my son when I was 15, my oldest boy, that kind of, you know, changed things, but it also saved me in so many ways. When I went back to school and I graduated I had in mind all of the prerequisites of being a police officer and all of the things that I needed to do. Um, There's not very many people in my family that have a driver's license. So that was something that I needed to do. I spent all of those years staying out of trouble or 
not getting caught doing things uh, that I wasn't supposed to be doing if I wanted a career in law enforcement. Growing up in poverty, it's not, it's not the easiest um, and trying to stay out of trouble. I know so many people that have theft charges because they were stealing food, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That's very, very real when you live below the poverty line. And so it was very hard to stay out of trouble, but I managed to stay out of trouble as a youth and as, well, I shouldn't say as a youth, but as an adult. Um, <laughs> when it started to count. <laughs> yeah, when it started to count when I was like, whoo, okay. <laughs> but, you know, I did everything that I could. I went to the University of Winnipeg and got a diploma in policing and a policing foundations program that was for Indigenous people that wanted to get involved in law enforcement. I would say the hardest part at that time was probably, you know, doing the popat and the pair test. And, you know, I, I'm five foot two, I can't run. And then there were all of these other things that were kind of coming to light. I was doing volunteer work for the downtown watch in, in Winnipeg here. And just seeing how our people were treated by volunteers, um, not even like actual police and law enforcement you know, someone who is sleeping in a bus shack and it's minus 40 out. And I'm told that I have to wake them up and get them out of there. Stuff like that, that kind of just made me feel like, well, I'm here to help my people and not push them to the alleys to go and freeze. And be found Um, dead. Yeah. And so those were very much huge realizations for me. And at that time I was right the recruitment test for the Winnipeg police I kind of sat there and I looked around at everyone that was sitting around me and they were a huge majority of young white men and I thought if I pass these are going to be my colleagues these are going to be the people that I'm going to take this journey with and the vibe that I got when I was standing in line to write the test from all of these people was not a great welcoming vibe to me right. being female and, you know, indigenous. I kind of just felt like, is this what the rest of my career is going to feel like? Mm-hmm. Um, and also understanding that I'm only going to be as good as my partner, you know, that I'm going to be in a car with someone who might not be the greatest person. And then there's the whole blue line and all of, you know what I mean? Like, and I was just like, I couldn't go forward with it. And I kind of basically purposely flunked my recruit test because I sabotaged it myself because that Mm -hmm. was what I wanted to do. So I utilized the skills that I learned and I worked at United Way as a, as a community host where I got to be there with the community on Maine and King. And, you know, I would have major donors come in that were huge donors to uh, United Way. And then I would have street people come in who just wanted to warm up and have a coffee, mm-hmm. you know, so to be able to kind of make everyone feel welcome was, I got to use all of those skills that I learned in that program it was a really great experience. But then I was like hearing everyone's stories that would come in Mm -hmm. and just, you know, people sitting there with coffee telling you their whole life story. And I was like, I have stories. And I know so many stories and storytelling with the indigenous community is such a huge way that we pass on um, knowledge to one another. And so I started looking at, you know, media production and, and communications courses and, that's kind of that whole journey of 
I want to, <laughs> I want to be a cop. And then I was like, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I love but I don't that. Regret it. I don't regret it at all. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It's, I think as indigenous women, I know I have felt this and I imagine, and I, I'll invite you to share, but you grow up with a huge responsibility when you're a person in the family who's trying to make it like it's a, it's a heavy weight to carry. Do you, would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. And so I think for me, knowing that my brother was killed and thinking there's got to be another way thinking, you know, maybe joining is part of the solution and then recognizing that, yeah, it's, that's not what I want to do either. So interesting enough, I think creator was like, there's a, like, there's a reason policing is interesting in your life. I don't know that I still know all the, the ins and outs of everything, but I had a 10 year relationship with a police officer. (laughs) So I got to know all the things I wanted to know anyway. (laughs) And then you went into, was this after you went into like communications, you said? Yeah, there was kind of a a gap in between. I went to the Red River College uh, Creative Communications before I went to the Adam Beach Film School. But there was a, there was a gap in between my United Way job and then getting into Red River College. And that was a time during my divorce. And so there was a a bit of a halt on everything. Mm -hmm. And with that being said, it was a very much needed pause and break from everything where I feel like I was allowed to kind of grow as, as a woman and, and as a person and kind of just be able to be myself. So I went through one of those, like, I'm just going to color my hair and get some tattoos and get some piercings and do all of the things that I wanted to do, but I couldn't. Right. Mm -hmm. The application process for the creative communications program with Red River College was a huge task in itself. Like you have to create this whole portfolio and you have, you know, like it's not just applying and paying some tuition. It's, it's a very um, high demand course. Mm -hmm. And so when I finally got in, I was super excited about it, not realizing that it's a a very serious course. (laughs) I mean, like I feel like I kind of knew by, you know, having conversations with people that were in it, but it was definitely one of the hardest things academically that I've had to do. Mm-hmm. And while being a mom mm-hmm. and trying to take care of everything else at the same time, mm-hmm. um, I put everything I had left in myself into this course and I failed the first semester. Mm. And so when you fail, you can't go back and then you have to go back for the next year and redo everything. So Mm. I went into like a a depression where I was kind of like, you know, we'll forget it. And I didn't feel like I was being heard as an indigenous person because I have a different perspective in terms of media and just my creativity is different. And I felt like it it wasn't being seen in the program, Mm -hmm. that it was almost being seen as I am special like I am looking for special privileges because I'm indigenous at least that's how I felt Mm -hmm. because I would try and take different approaches to things 
for instance, Remembrance Day. Well, we have Aboriginal Veterans Day on the 8th. Mm-hmm. So when everyone else was supposed to go do that assignment, that journalism assignment, I wanted to do this one on the 8th. So it was very, I had to get special permission to do so. And then of course, my assignment was going to look different than everyone else's. Mm-hmm. How many people and how many different angles can you get of the same event? And I think that was supposed to be the assignment, get a different angle, different perspective. And I was just like, I am going to give you a different perspective. Yeah. And, and it's mine as an Indigenous person. So yeah, it was very difficult. Anyways, my, um, my media production teacher basically just said to me, all of the things that you learned in media production in the first semester, if you want to go forward, you can, it's, it's the foundation, you can, you know, learning how to import, export all of these little things that could halt a whole production or a whole, you know what I mean? Like your sound, your lighting, all of these things. And so I got to learn the basics and it, and it helped me kind of look forward to something bigger, I guess. Mm-hmm. Wow. So exciting. I love that in your biography. And again, it it really emphasizes the collective herd of Indigenous people is once you got involved in media production, the whole realm of it, your goal and your focus was more Indigenous representation in the media. And so what was that experience like for you to like looking around saying like, where, where are the Indigenous people? It was kind of intimidating because when you're in an environment where there might only be one other Indigenous person, you can feel the pride and you can feel the emotion and you can feel the struggles and you can feel everything. It's kind of like, you know, when you walk into a room, I don't know about you, but I always look for another Indigenous person. Sometimes there isn't one. So then it's like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to look for a, another brown person. Like, you know, like give me anything, any type of diversity, any type of um, representation. <laughs> because it's always been this colonized perspective. When you see someone who is like yourself on the big screen or on the TV or in an ad or on a poster, you might not even know them, but if you know that they're Indigenous just by looking at them and seeing their name or their community, that the sense of pride that you feel, mm-hmm. um, I can't even explain it. And so knowing, okay, there might only be a couple of Indigenous journalists or models or actors and actresses, and, but I'm so proud of every single one of them that's, mm-hmm. that's pushed. We all know the stuff that we have to go through and and listen to while we're on that journey. So Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's empowering and and it's definitely inspiring. It is. And I think that sometimes people who don't know us will look out at why do Indigenous people make such a big deal about, you know, the first Indigenous female, blah, blah, blah. Right. So in 2019, I became the chairperson for the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce. And I was the first female Indigenous woman to have that position. The chamber is 147 years old and it got news across Canada. It was a special time. And, you know, the first time that I walked into the the boardroom of the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce would have been maybe 2015. And at the time I was the chairperson for the Aboriginal Chamber of Commerce. That's how I basically got 
a seat at the table at the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce. So the first time that I went to a meeting, I had to show up by myself, which by this time I was already used to. I was used to showing up in, in environments where I was the only Indigenous person. And so a lot of times I would just kind of, you know, bite my teeth and just say to myself, I'm just fucking going, like, <laughs> just fucking go. <laughs> so yeah, I definitely know what it's like to be the only Indigenous person in the room. And and so my experience was often being the very only Indigenous person at the board uh meetings, some events, we would have a few Indigenous people show up. I remember one of our last in-person events. Um, It was one of our larger ones. And I was the chairperson at the time. And I, I, during the, the lunch break, we had a speaker or it was lunch break or something. So I was walking around and going to the washroom. And I had seen so many Indigenous people that were coming and they were all getting up to like, make sure to get a chance to say hi to me. I had been to that event. That was probably the fourth year that I had been to that event. And I had never had that experience. And it was, it was so special. And at one point, and I learned this from the chief of Long Plain, one of the events that he hosted, he asked all of the people of Treaty One, if you're a Treaty One First Nation member to please stand. And so I did that in a room of 1500 people. And there were maybe, maybe 20 First Nation people, I can't remember. And so I invited them all to stand. (laughs) It was like, it was one of the highlights that I had, you know, to be able to bring attention. We talk a lot about truth and reconciliation, acknowledging land, all of that stuff. And who is that relationship with? And that's what I wanted to highlight was the people that are standing. And it was Oh, I'll never forget that, you know, and, and at the time I was, I was kind of scared. I felt like it was, I almost want to say nervy, not really nervy, but it was like, no one had ever done that in a Winnipeg chamber event. And then I'm, I'm excited about this. So I'm going to share another story with you. Um, So for the Winnipeg chamber of commerce, I helped launch a truth and reconciliation roadmap. So the roadmap is a an ongoing list of where can businesses find resources for Indigenous awareness, because I I taught for five years Indigenous awareness. So called people around the table, you know, all my Indigenous smart friends come, I need your help. And so we had a meeting, Um, Mark Sweeney, who worked for Manitoba Hydro at the time, I invited him, the elder that we had was um, Elder Betty Ross, and they're from the same community. At one point, so she does her opening prayer, and Mark, who I think he came in late, and then he realized, oh, like there's someone speaking Cree. So as soon as she was done, he started thanking her in Cree, and there, and then they you start having this conversation, and everybody around the table <laughs> cannot understand Cree, and it was just it was such a beautiful moment, and we stopped and we acknowledged that is again, as old as the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce is, never in the boardroom has the Cree language been spoke. And it was just, it was just beautiful. So I can't remember why I got off on that. (laughs) Well, thank you for sharing that. I love that, you know, and we're full of first times, right? Like first, and it's something that we have to celebrate. Yeah, which I guess that reminds me of why I started talking about it is, is first times. So I, I have a couple of, you know, kind of questions that will, who knows where they'll take us, but I wanted to ask, do you have any questions 
Or do you have any topics that you want to talk about that maybe when you get a chance in an interview that no one really asks you about this? Um, I'm not too sure. I... Okay, that's okay. We can save that one. <laughs> so, okay, so let's talk about your 495.5 thousand followers on TikTok. So when did this start for you? Like how long has this been going on? Um, so I actually made my first upload in 2019 in June. So after I failed my program, I used to just make like silly Snapchats and stuff like that. And my cousin was like, you should go on YouTube. Like, you're really funny. And I'm like, okay, calm down. Like, I'm just, <laughs> you know, and she's like, no, just like, you know, have fun and just do what you're doing, but in like longer format. And uh, I eventually ended up taking like doing that and going to YouTube and just like creating some like if I if if people seen some of the videos that I did <laughs> like they were just so ridiculous like no purpose really yeah. you know like I'm putting on makeup and I'm like going to go get cat food <laughs> <laughs> are they still on YouTube <laughs> no <laughs> but just stuff like that or like thrift hauls like I would do so many different things you know I would watch a movie and then I would talk I would give like a movie review and you know mm. all different kinds of things things that I liked right because I knew that if if they were things that I liked it wouldn't feel so much like oh another video right right so if it was like a Halloween costume or a movie review I did not have a niche but one of the things in trying to build that community on YouTube, I talked about, you know, being indigenous, but I never created content revolving around my indigeneity. I never talked about powwows or any, like I never talked about anything, right? But the people that followed me for the most part were aware because of like my, I would go into lives and, and when you first start something, you find that community of other people that are first starting. So then you like support each other and follow each other and comment and all of that stuff. And um, so I never really had anyone question my identity on YouTube. Then I came across a couple of TikToks or compilation videos of TikToks. And so I, I was like, what's a TikTok? And I got really interested in <laughs> My daughter was like, oh, it used to be musically and like, no, don't do it. And I'm like, why not? And like, they're pretty funny. Like I was finding some really funny TikToks and it took about a month or so to convince her to help me make my first TikTok and make a TikTok account. And she did. I had no involvement in the editing or the shooting. She did it all. So I didn't even know how to use the interface. Like I didn't know how to do anything. Yeah. I was like, okay, so we're just, we're going to do this. And then you're going to film me and I'm going to do this. And, you know, I'm going to walk past it in, in my mucklucks and you're going to film my feet doing the moonwalk, like stuff like that. Uh -huh. And so that was my first TikTok, and it had to, it was a trend that was, it was Lizzo and it was, I just took a DNA test. Turns out I'm a hundred percent. And then people would be like, Ukrainian and then they would show all of their beautiful Ukrainian mm. culture or whatever right and so I was like well you know saying I'm a hundred percent like we're, we're already get, getting controversial here but I'm going to talk about my indigeneity but I'm not going to get cultural I'm going to throw in some comedy I'm going to you know certain things that I think are funny 
like using a butter knife to lock your door, maybe beading. And then I did like the moonwalk in my mukleks. And there was another one where I opened up a door and it was a blanket door, you know, like all of these <laughs> things, um, that we can relate to as indigenous people. And then I deleted the app and I uploaded that video on my YouTube and people, it was very short. People thought it was funny, whatever. And then I didn't go back until I think September or October. And I had 69 followers and like 27,000 views on my one video. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what the heck? Like, you know, I'm, I'm scrimping and scraping here to get followers on YouTube and I have 69 followers on, <laughs> and I'm not even on the app. So, um, so I was like, okay, this is my vibe. As I started scrolling and getting into the app, I realized that after days and days of being on it and looking up hashtags, that there was really a very, very small representation of indigenous people. And my comment section on that video was, okay, Elizabeth Warren, and you're not native or you're not Indian, you know, okay, white lady. And I was like, wow, okay, so we're going to talk about identity and we're going <laughs> to talk about, you know, and so that's off. Yeah, that's kind of like where my content ended up going is, you know, we all come in different shapes, shades and sizes. I love that line. Yeah, it's beautiful. Because we're all so different. Like Mm we have a lot of similarities and we can relate to certain things, but we are all very different. And that inspired me to talk about how we have so many, there's so many nations and tribes. and, Mm -hmm. And the more I talked about it, the more people were accepting of my lighter skin or of me claiming my identity on the app. And it was so weird to me because, you know, I would come across people that would be like, oh, you're native. Oh, okay. So where are you from? And it was just a casual conversation. I mm-hmm. never had anyone accuse me of being native or pretending to be native. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> I want to take a step back and dig into something if that's okay. Yeah, sure. So one of the things that I talk about on my Instagram stories, and one of the things that I try to help my speakers feel good about is it's okay to ask for more out of life. So years ago, I did my first speaking gig, my first paid speaking gig in 2013. And I loved it. I loved being in front of the mic. I loved being in front of the audience and just having, you know, all of that for the whole day. Like I, it was like the time of my life. But I was scared to say that to anyone because I thought that people would think I'm being conceited and being arrogant. So I didn't talk about it for a long time. Um, Although that desire to be there again and to grow in being good as a speaker was something that was really important to me. And I worked on it all the time and every chance that I got. And so now how I communicate to my audience online and, and to to my clients, what I try to empower them with is it's okay to ask for more. It's okay to say, I want to be a speaker. It's okay to say, I have a story and I want to inspire people with it. So when you were making your funny Snapchats and your cousins were like, you're really good. Was there something within you that was looking for an audience? Because you were already you were interested in media. You were already on that avenue. So would you describe that you were looking for an audience or how would you say it? Yeah. It's funny because I didn't really, I would create my content 
and or the Snapchat or whatever, and in hopes that it would make someone laugh or make someone kind of maybe even shake their head at me or something like that, in, invoke some type of emotion or thoughts or whatever for a second, right? Mm-hmm. And then as I got into YouTube, it's very different to promote yourself with other people that are doing the same thing versus going to your family and your friends and, sh- and like strangers that are not on the social media or the application that follow me. Like, how do you convince people to follow you and watch you? And, you know, so I think that was kind of my struggle. It was like, yeah, I want to be able to make people laugh and and tell stories and kind of share bits and pieces of myself and eventually inspire people. But I didn't really know how to do it. And I didn't know all of the stuff that comes along with it. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of work. It's funny. So when I was in that moment of asking friends and family, like, follow me, like for the longest time, my mom didn't even follow me on YouTube. And I'm like, look, we're going to create a YouTube account for you. And you're going to follow me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to make you an account so you can follow me. And then sometimes there's people that you're like, I hope they never find my account. (laughs) Like, I hope they never see me. (laughs) Yeah. But at one point when I really pushed myself to, you know, get people to, I guess, acknowledge my content it's really weird crossing that I'm a regular person to, hey, come watch me and listen to me, especially people that are in your life and know you. And they're like, why would I watch you when I can come visit you? And have <laughs> <a coffee?" laughs> Yeah, yeah. But I ordered these business cards and they had my Snapchat code and my YouTube channel. And I think my Facebook and it was a, and a picture of me on it. And I ordered them from online. And I think I got like 500 or 200 of them or something. And I used to just give them out everywhere to everyone. Wow. neat! And I used to just like, you know, when you're in a restaurant and they tell you to put your business card in, like I would throw it in there. I would leave it in bathrooms. If I was downtown at an intersection at a red light, I would throw 10 of them out my window, you know, just on the street. And then I would get messages from people like, I found this card. (laughs) I found this card at a subway. (laughs) That made me be a little bit more comfortable Um, one time I put an ad on Kijiji for like, follow me on YouTube or whatever. And someone sent me a message and they were like, I'm just trying to find a bed. I don't need to see this garbage. And I was like, okay. (laughs) Um, but yeah, it, it's, I guess at some point I was looking for an audience to help eventually inspire people and tell Mm -hmm. stories. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, I don't think I was prepared. Yeah, for sure. So in 2015, when Facebook started doing Facebook lives, I wanted to, I I wanted to have my own show. And so I would, um, I would do Facebook lives and I wanted to make a strategy out of it. I had no training on any of that either. So I was just like making shit up as I went. And at one point, so by this time, I had already started doing Indigenous awareness training. So I'd go into businesses and with about a group of 30, I would take them through a a day of, you know, the last 500 years in Canada kind of thing. And I did some talks on it. I did a TED talk and some other stuff. But when I was done at the end of the day, the question that people would ask is, what can I do? And I don't know any Indigenous people. So how, like, how do I 
be good to indigenous people when I don't know any of them. So what I started doing was, I don't know if I did it every Friday or if it was once a month. Um, I would find an indigenous musician, artist, entrepreneur, and I did a series of 10 and I would interview them on a Facebook live because I wanted my own show. And uh, so now today, I mean, I still do a bunch of stuff on Instagram and, and most of it is about my speaker training. A lot of people, when they engage with me, they say they want to go online you know, they want to be more vocal, they want to share their story, but they're too scared to put their face in the camera, they don't know what to say, they're scared to be judged, blah, 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 all of those things that really pile up. And that's what I help people work on. So what I'm curious about is, has that fear come up for you in the past, or even still today, whether you call it imposter syndrome or anything else? And what did it look like? Yeah, it, it's come up a lot in the past, especially when I started getting attention, mm. you know, people either in my life or who were in my life started seeing me and, you know, feeling like they had to have opinions on either what I was talking about or what I was doing. And the thing is, is you change. I mean, we're always changing and change is good. But once you start seeing how people treat you and once you start kind of even just writing a title in your bio or in your description on social media, it's like comedian. Am I a comedian? I don't know if I'm a comedian, you know, am, am I a writer? Well, I've written some things, but you know, yeah, it's very yeah. feeling like at what point am I allowed to call myself these things, you know, and if I call myself these things, those people in that community, how is it going to be received? You know, am I going to be welcomed or am I going to be that fake person? You definitely go through like different stages of fear and then accepting it and then kind of just like not caring about it <laughs> yeah. eventually. And I think at some point when other people start calling you those things, and it kind of just solidifies that within you, whether it is a content creator or influencer or singer songwriter, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I just feel like it's definitely hard to navigate, especially if it comes from people who are close to you, you know, who are in your life, your family and your friends and stuff like that. Also going forward. I mean, like we all have a past, right? Like we all have things that we've said, done people that we've probably hurt or, that aren't too happy with us. I was like, at some point, I feel like someone is going to surface or something is going to surface. And I felt like I'm getting too much attention. Like people, now I was starting to get like fearful of getting way too much attention and bad attention. And then I was just like, you know what? I don't care. I don't care. I feel like the, the purpose behind it and what I'm doing far outweighs anything else seeing a shift in my kids and and having them you know have this sense of pride in in their indigeneity and in their identity as in as indigenous people mm -hmm. and then other kids you know it's like if someone wants to come and say something about me like I don't even care you know yeah. because it's far more important to be doing the work and and saying the things that I'm saying to empower anyone anyone right. indigenous people and I want to say more importantly 
the youth, but I've had people who are older than me message me and send me things that were so, made me so emotional to know that this is someone who you would think is very confident in, in themselves as an Indigenous person and, and pride and everything. But then they see, they see me and they've sent me a message saying, you know, like you made me feel seen and you've made me feel um, like I can openly tell people and be proud of who I am and wear those beaded earrings that are collecting mm. dust in my drawer. And, you know, yeah. That's beautiful because you're, you're literally changing people's lives. And I saw some of the TikToks where I can't remember what the, like, there's the, the TikTok voice, whoever that records those, but it's like that same woman's voice that's on all of them. And it said, if a famous TikToker replayed, I can't remember what she says, but anyways, there's young people who will talk to you and then you watch them. And it's, and that's the TikTok. And I remember a young man and he was talking about how he didn't feel like he was anybody (laughs) You start crying. <laughs> he didn't feel like he was anybody or worth had anything worth sharing because of your TikToks. He felt that he now was seen. So I mean, like the same thing of what you're saying of this this older person, but you're changing people's lives, like through TikTok, through having fun and being on social media. Like that's amazing. Yeah, it's. Again, like I said, it, it's nothing that I anticipated, but I mean, what a great thing. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> I'm curious to know, when did you know you were hooked on TikTok? When did you know, like, okay, this is a thing and there's no turning back? <laughs> I think because I'm not like, I don't just create content. Like I'm like, I'm a watcher too. Like I watch And so um, almost any viral video or like when someone is, you know, a video does like really well or not even that, just like when I come across a video that I feel compelled to comment on, whether it's like a, a heart or like whatever, I'm like always in the comments and people will always see my, my comments. And so like, there's been a couple of times where I've seen like, you know, cause they have like thirst traps sometimes where there's like someone will do like a sexy dance or something and I can't remember but I commented on this uh man's video and it was something like I think it was like a sweaty like the sweaty face emoji or something and then someone was like oh my god Sherry you're here and I was like okay now I have to be careful where I <laughs> yeah you're being noticed you're being yeah, watched like, yeah no um, more what is how do you say that word no more anonymity yeah (laughs) yeah and so it was really funny because everyone's like oh my god sherry's here and i'm like like trying to pretend like i'm not there yeah yeah just the the creativity in so many people has definitely got me hooked um native tiktok is such a huge community i call it like the virtual gathering of nations like oh that's awesome yeah everybody is there i mean we have our issues sometimes but (laughs) like every community does right and you know sometimes we will like sit down and we'll talk about it like whether that's through lives or videos there's a lot of things that happen and like there's stuff that is happening right now as we speak and it's like you know whether it is 
someone who is sharing an engagement or someone who is, you know, going to be graduating a program. Like there's so many things to celebrate on the app. And so when people are talking about their successes and the things that they're celebrating or that they were having a tough time, but, you know, they woke up today and, and, and it's a better day today. And there's so many things that we share. So it's so hard to get off the app. <laughs> you know, you're laughing one minute and then you're crying the next. Yeah. Yeah. And building uh, relationships. Totally. Um, so I would say probably after I deleted the app and then I went back to it in like September, October, I would say I was hooked then in 2019. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. So what do you do all day? So I am like a full-time influencer content creator. This is my second year being self-employed, doing content, (laughs) doing content. (laughs) (laughs) Uh And so I just, well, I'm a mom. um, So I wake up in the morning, get my kids to school, um, check my schedule. Sometimes there's interviews. Sometimes there's amazing podcasts. Sometimes it's, you know, just communication back and forth negotiating or you know what I mean like a lot of that stuff plus then there's like dinners and we have two cats and a dog and (laughs) all of the life yeah so clearly you don't have to answer this if you don't want to but how do you make money as an influencer how do you do that I I get campaigns um and like sponsorships I currently work with a talent agency, which has made it so much more easier for me to do the things that I need to do. So I'm not sitting in an email negotiating back and forth and corresponding. And it's just like, it's fun at first because you're like, but then it's like, (laughs) this is a lot of work. It's Um, business. It totally is. And you know, to have someone else do that and negotiate and, you know, have spreadsheets and invoices that I don't have to do anymore. It's, um, it's such a relief. So I work with a talent agency and they go out and they get me, give me gigs and campaigns. And so, um, one of the more recent ones is I'm a Canadian ambassador for the Google pixel six pro. That's so cool. Congratulations. super cool and so the device is amazing and when you're a content creator and you get like so stuck on certain things and you have to go outside the box and either try new things new apps new like everything you know what I mean like you can't be doing the same thing all the time Mm -hmm. um it's definitely helped me kind of discover a lot of really cool new features. I'm the kind of person that is like, I'm default. I'm like that default person, <laughs> like my ringtone, like everything. Everything. Hilarious. My ringtone, my alarm clock, like everything is default. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. So it's been really cool. Like actually customizing something to fit me. It's really neat. So Hmm. I'm having a lot of fun with that and, you know, just other things that uh, other companies that I've worked with, like the HelloFresh, I get messages from people that are, you know, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to see like another, another niche person out there doing like working with like really big companies and doing these things and, and it's inspiring to them. And that's kind of all I, you know, really hope for is like, representation um accurate representation yes 
Oh, that's so exciting. I, I think I've taken up a lot of your time and thank you so much for taking the time to, to chat with me and share and be open and honest about some of your experiences and all of that stuff. I really appreciate that. So thank you so much. So when you go on to TikTok to your five, 495.5 thousand followers, what are you thinking? Like, what's your mindset when you're, you're going to talk to your audience? Well, I'm so incredibly grateful for every single one of those followers. Um, they're not just numbers. They're like legit real people that have, you know, decided, Hey, I think I'm going to watch Sherry and follow along with her for, for a little while or whatever. Right. One of the main things is that you can have something or someone totally change your vibe, totally change your mood, totally, you know what I mean? So all I want to do is kind of create a safe space to laugh and have fun and learn. I hope that there's a payoff every time someone watches one of my videos and I hope that it's a positive one. Um, It wasn't always like that. I used to call out a lot of, you know, cultural appropriation and I used to, you know, and then I kind of just felt like I am spreading this negativity to anyone who is watching me. And I don't want to do that. I, I, you know, I want to be more positive and uplifting and, and share some laughs with people. And so I try not to get too obsessed with numbers. I'm whenever I get a jump in followers, I get like anxiety because now it's like new people that might not know what they're getting themselves into. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And so I just, you know, I just try and make sure that I'm going to create, it doesn't have to be a viral video. I know what it takes to go viral. It just something that will speak to someone at some point and make them laugh and, and hopefully make them feel better about their day if they had a poopy day. Yeah, absolutely. So Sherry.McKay on TikTok, is that the same for Instagram? Instagram, it's official Sherry McKay. Okay, so if you're listening, if you loved this, then take a screenshot of the podcast and share it on your Instagram or your, well, I don't know if you can do that on TikTok. So I know Instagram, I barely know TikTok. Every once in a while, I'll cheat by downloading because a friend told me to do this, download your Instagram reels and upload them to TikTok. And I barely even remember to do that. I can't keep up. So uh, tag us on Instagram because that's where you'll find me. And thank you again, Sherry, for spending time with us. Thank you so much for having me. I had a blast. Thank you so much for listening. Miigwech, egose, merci. Please don't leave without hearing me tell you that you are worthy and your time is worthy, which is why I'm so happy you chose to listen to this podcast. If there was something in this message that resonated with you, please take a screenshot and share it on your Instagram story and tag me at jessicadumas01 because if you found this helpful, your friends and your cousins will want to know about it. Until next time, decide you are worthy of what you want and go get it.